We are in our summer teaching series, Beyond the Walls. What does it mean to be the church, not just in this place one hour a week, but what do we do the other 167 hours when we are the church? It's so good to have you here this morning. My name is Mark Krenz. I'm lead pastor here. I have to reintroduce myself after several weeks being, being away on vacation and having other people teach and preach. It's so great to be together, though. I'm still excited from last uh, Sunday. Church has left the building. What a great day. I got to say, as a pastor, one of the most exciting things for me wasn't just the impact that we, we were able to have by serving the different people. It was when we gathered back together here in, in the lobby and had, the, had some pizza together and just hearing the stories and seeing the excitement, seeing uh, just you feeling used by God in a way that, that served others and the stories that come from that, the conversations that were had, the people that were met. Amazing things can happen when we get beyond our walls. The uh, week before last, I was at a conference in, uh, in Anderson, Indiana, a regional convention for the Church of God. Meadow Park is part of a, a, a tribe of churches called the Church of God out of Anderson, Indiana, a movement of churches, thousands around the world, and, and we had a regional convention. And uh, part of what's so great about these conventions is you get great teaching and worship, but as a pastor, as a leader, it's also a great time for me to be able to reconnect with other ministry leaders and pastors, friends, colleagues that... I only get to see every, every maybe once a year or so. Uh, one of the people that I got to reconnect with was a former student of mine. His name is Mike Snyder. And uh, he was a student when I was a youth, uh, a worship, uh, I wasn't a worship pastor, never. Um, I was a, a youth pastor. You guys are grateful for that. I was, a, I was a youth pastor, and he was one of the students in our youth ministry and was in a small group I led. He was on our leadership team, and uh, he eventually became a pastor and actually took my job as youth pastor at the church where I was at. He now is serving in a small church just outside of Anderson in Alexandria, and it was a church that, um, as some churches do in life cycles, they had to close their doors. Their life cycle came to an end, and, and he was part of a revitalization, a restart of that church, but had a different philosophy, a different way of thinking about ministry that was really community-centric. How do we focus on what happens beyond Sundays in the, in the community, and how can we engage in that way? And so they developed a community park and really centered the church around that park and really started putting activity and energy into meeting people at the park. And one of those first uh, days, weeks, where he was out in that park, Mike was telling me as I was, uh, it was fun to kind of go to one of my former students and say, teach me, let me know, what are you learning, what are you seeing, what are you doing? And it was so fun to hear from him. And one of the things he said struck me. He said, you know, for, for years I've been praying and asking God to bring people into the church. Why aren't people coming to the church? And he said what he felt God was saying, you know, Mike, you've been wanting to get people into the church on Sunday. I finally got you out into the community. It was one of these moments where it was like all this time and energy, but it was when we stepped out in the community, when we stepped out in the world, that's where God wants us. That's where he longs for us to be, is to beyond, be beyond these walls. Now, there is great value and importance of gathering together here in person, online, to, to worship. But how we are the church beyond these walls is important. And we've been hearing great um, messages. Don't we have some great uh, communicators on our staff, these young guys on our team? We had Noah and Adam. Uh, and Adam. We had Noah, and we've got Tim and, and uh, Kyle. I know who's on my team. I, I do. Um, but just hearing about how God wants to use us in our neighborhoods and how God wants to use us in our family, and how God wants us to connect with the people around us. Today, I want to talk about a topic where we're addressing who do you spend more time with than maybe anyone else besides your family in this world? Where do you spend so much of your time? And it's in our workplace. It's in our workplace. And I want to talk today about faith at work. 
When we talk about being beyond our walls, when we talk about the church being out in the community, it's where so many of us spend so much of our lives. Now, granted, some are still in school, and, and school is that place, kind of like a workplace where we spend a lot of time. And of course, some are retired, but we have so much influence, so much impact. And we want to talk about what does it mean to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ in our workplace where we spend so much time. When I think about getting beyond our walls, we have these walls, we're talking about getting out, but when I think about places where you live and serve and where you work, you're the only person who can get behind those walls. Did you know that? You're one of the only people here in our church where you think about where you work and where you spend your time. You can be the church. You can be God's person. You could be a pastor in your workplace, a missionary in your workplace. I know you hear those words and you go, well, I don't know about that. That's a little much. But you're just called to be God's representative in those places, places where as a church we can't go. But you can. You can be in that place. And whether it's in a physical place or whether it's on a job site or whether it's out where you're working and serving, whether it's with clients, you have opportunities that no one else has. So how do we live in that way? How can we be the church in that place? How can you live that out? I know we have lots of questions. There's lots of tensions around that. And I want to address and talk about some of those today. I remember when I didn't work in a church. And it's, it's been a while, but it's a different environment. It's different going to work and wondering, what are my coworkers and colleagues? They don't believe the same. They don't think the same. They have different ideas. We'd come back and talk about what we did on the weekend, and they did certain things, and did they really want to hear about that I went out and served with my church? Maybe that sounds a little odd, or, or how do I handle that? How do I handle compromises that, that maybe morals or ethics that, that, that I don't hold? What about conversations around topics where I view things very differently because of my faith? What about when we go out to lunch or we eat or I'm sitting there, do, do I pray for my food around them? Do I invite them to pray with me? Do I do that or do I not do that? Is that weird? Is anyone else tracking with me on some of this stuff? Right? And then comes a challenge, you know, from, you know, from church. Invite somebody from work or to, to church with you. Have you ever invited somebody that you work with to church? Maybe you get that, that nervousness, or maybe you go, ah, no, that's just weird. I, no, we got, I got to keep my faith. That's my thing. And, and we don't know how to handle some of that. And I think we, we deal with these, these challenges and go, how do I live that out? How has God called you to engage in the workplace or where you work in the places that you intersect with your colleagues and coworkers? And I think the tension that we face is one extreme or the other. Too much or too little? Too much faith, too much out there, too extreme or too little? Too extreme, I, I, you, know, you go to work and, and you see yourself in a way where you're going, my primary job here at work is to convert people. That's what God's called me to. And, and you speak Christianese and, and you, know, you use all these terms that nobody knows and you've got you know, the posters everywhere and, and it's just like, it's, it's just too much. Here's what one um, person wrote to actually a law firm trying to get some help with this. It says, one of my coworkers is an evangelical Christian. She's constantly, trying, she's constantly trying to talk about her beliefs with other employees, asking them to attend her church, telling them that they must be saved by Jesus Christ, and so on. I am not religious, and I don't want to have these conversations. I have asked her to please stop, and she told me that her religion requires her to profess her faith and try to save others. She keeps telling me that she is praying for me, explaining that I'll be damned for eternity if I don't accept Jesus as my Savior, and leaving pamphlets on my desk. She approaches me numerous times a day, even in the restroom. Isn't there anything I can do about this? 
it started off pretty good, right? <laughs> like, kind of going, all right, yeah, she's living out her face, she feels called to that, but kind of going a little too far. Do you think this is a winsome interaction with her coworker here, writing a lawyer saying, what can be done about this? And you're saying, okay, there's got to be something else. But here's my thing. I don't think we're in danger typically in my years of ministry as pastoring and youth pastor that, that most of us have the problem of being too much at work in our faith. What I've encountered far more among believers and about kids and school and students is too little. As a matter of fact, we, we shy away so much that people don't even know you're a follower of Christ, that you don't ever want to talk about it, that you try to hide it, that you're embarrassed about it, that maybe even ashamed about it, or you just want it to not be an issue. And I think that's the challenge that we face, is that it's not too much, but, but that we want to blend in. And what I hear so many times is, is saying, well, I just, I just live it out. I just live it out. Now, is that a bad thing? No, it's a great thing. You should live it out. We're going to talk about that. But I wonder if God is calling you for more and wondering what could happen in your workplace, in, with the, your coworkers, with your clients, with your customers. What could happen if God uses you in a way to be transformative in that place? And how do we go about that? And so that's what I want to talk about today. And I want to talk about when we face those challenges. So let's pray. And I just ask God to open your heart. Think about uh, the place where you spend the majority of your day when you're at work or at school or maybe even in your neighborhood, and ask God right now to, to maybe put a name in your head, maybe a, a coworker, a colleague, maybe a customer, a client, and just uh, ask God right now in this moment to help you navigate uh, that relationship. Heavenly Father, thank you for this call that you've given us to go and to be your people, to be the church beyond these walls. And Father, you've placed us in amazing places throughout the community each and every day here. Lord, help us today as we talk about what you are calling us to do and to be in the best hours of our day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So one verse that we've been looking at throughout this series is Jeremiah 29.7. We've come back to it time and again. And uh, this is the Lord's word to the people who were living in a place that they didn't necessarily consider home. They were in exile, the people of God, but they began to live and, 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 and have their lives there. And here's what he writes, Jeremiah 29, verse 7. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This call to be the people of God in the community, in the city, to work for its peace and prosperity. Its welfare will determine your welfare. How do we help improve the world around us? Our job, our work, what we spend our time in is one of the most significant ways that we impact the world around us. And so how we think about it through our faith is vitally important. But I think a lot of us, when we think about work, have this idea that work is punishment. Anyone? <laughs> Work is punishment. Work is something we must do, and we only want to do it as long as we absolutely have to until we can do what? Retire, and when we retire, we don't work is the idea, at least not paid-wise, right? Retirees always tell me they're busier now than they ever were before. But we, want to, we think about work as some kind of punishment, and some, and as Christians, even look at Scripture and go, wasn't work punishment by God? Man, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, right, they had everything provided for them, and, and then when they sinned, they got kicked out of the garden, and then work was punishment. By the sweat of their brow, they had to labor and break open the hard soil. Isn't that theology, and, and work is just this punishment? Well, that's a whole other topic. I want to just give you a couple handles on that. That is not how God designed work. 
And actually, work was, crea- it was part of creation. God created you and me to work. Even think about what well, God is an example. When he, when he created the world, what does it say? For six days he worked, and what did he do on the seventh? He rested. Why did he rest? Because he worked, and there was this rhythm, and he set that into the, the scope of creation. And what we see is he, put, he created the world, and then he, he had all these elements of the world, but not man and woman yet, and he said, who will cultivate this? Who will bring this and maintain and, and be fruitful and multiply, right? And so he created Adam and Eve, and he gave them this mission to cultivate, to cultivate the ground, to cultivate the earth. We are created to cultivate. It's one of the key pieces that, that, that the scripture reminds us. And after the fall, when they were kicked out, the same word cultivate is used in Genesis again. And cultivate means to bring together, to create, to, to put together in such a way as to prosper. And you know what's interesting? That word cultivate has the same root as the word culture. So when we think about culture, when we think about cultivating, it, through our work, we're called to shape culture. We're called to bring goodness to the world. We're called to take raw resources. And if you're a home builder, you know what it's like. Nails and, and two-by-fours don't create a house by themselves, right? You're cultivating a home. Right? If you're a researcher, if you're a teacher, te- lessons don't teach themselves. Knowledge doesn't just come. We bring together the things that, that God has given us, and we bring goodness out of them, and we give value to the world around us, and we're creating culture in that way. And so when we look at this idea of, of creating culture, there's this, um, there, sociologists have looked at seven channels of culture, Seven different ways that we influence the world around us. Seven seven channels. And so as we look at these seven channels, which one of these channels do you work in? Which one of these channels do you find yourself in? So we know there's the media channel, right, where we have flow of information and we've got publishing, TV, web, social media. We know media is all over and it's inundated in our lives and it shapes culture, doesn't it? Arts and entertainment. This is beauty and imagination, music, film, fine arts. Fashion, right? Those are the pieces that come together through arts and entertainment. Business. Many people spend time in business and different elements of business. Uh, it's um, creating goods and services. That's where we've got finances and entrepreneurs and we've got the trades. So much of our economy is going right through business. We've got the channel of education. This is the transfer of knowledge, right? Shaping minds, doing research, and, and being in that system of education. So important. Government. Security and justice, uh, policies, legislation, right? All of these issues that, you know, our government is huge, right? In the way that it inter- intersects and so, I almost said interferes, intersects in so many areas of our lives. It's true, too. I mean, it's both. Um, then we've got the social sector, and this is where we've got nonprofits or NGOs, non government organizations, philanthropy, families fit into that, right? The fabric of our, of our culture. And then we've got religion, or we've got the church in our case, and how we shape theology and the view of our existence and values and morals and how all that comes together. And so we look at these seven channels, and we try to think of a way of how do these seven channels work together. And if we think in terms of our influence as believers, as followers of Jesus, if we think of our influence as only being in the religious sector or the church, right? And we go, that's it. That's where we make our influence. We're missing out on our calling into these other channels. I don't get into these other channels because I'm in the channel of the church. But you are there. You are in those places. That's where the church is all throughout the week. 
And so how can we influence and see that in a different light, see that in a different way, and be God's presence in that place? Now, my wife was trained uh, in, in family science, and she's got her master's degree in theology. You may not know that. Um, and she's been a stay-at-home mom for, for most of our, our, our marriage and, and family life. But in the last couple of years, she started working at Riverside Elementary School and is a building attendant. And what that means, basically, for the three hours in the middle of the day, uh, she's the lunch lady. She doesn't serve the lunch, but she's in the lunchroom. And she just makes sure that all the kids coming through, they, they, you know, they, they know how to open their, uh, their drink boxes, <laughs> and, and they clean up after themselves, they keep an order, and she's out at recess. And, and, it, and it's just, uh, you know, you, the job that, that some of us kind of go, man, I can't imagine, please, don't put me into anyone else. Kind of going, ah, oh, that'd be cra- crazy, right? And it's not the work itself that's so invigorating to Shannon. But one thing she says to me all the time is that she wants to pour out love to these kids that don't get love. So many kids she sees every day in a different home situation. She gets to know them. She knows them by name. She goes every day with a joke, and, you know, a new joke every day for the kids and, and finds ways to build relationships. And you think this is one channel where we can be different. We can bring an influence. And I'm so proud of the way that, that she sees that role in the lives of kids. How do you see and can you reframe what you do in your channel each and every day. So I want to look at this a little further and go a little deeper. As, that, as we looked at Jeremiah 29.7, that verse that we had before, as I was thinking about it, um, and I went back into, into the, the Hebrew scriptures. Don't worry, it doesn't sound as, 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 as crazy as it is. You can just go online and go look, at, look up the word and look up the verse and see in Hebrew. And what you'll see is the words for uh, peace and prosperity, and then later the word welfare and welfare, work for the welfare of the city. If you really look at it, the word is the same word all throughout. It's, it's this, it's work for the shalom of the city where I sent you. Pray to the Lord for it. Its shalom will determine your shalom. All of you Hebrew scholars out here, what does the word shalom mean? Peace, right? Even today in modern day Israel, they'll greet you with the word shalom. And it's peace. But biblical peace and the understanding of peace is more than just peace like absence of conflict or just being tranquil. Peace really has this idea, shalom has this idea, here's the definition or different words for it, it's peace, but it's also wholeness, completeness, well-being, prosperity, it's this, this coming together, this being centered in Christ, this, this wholeness of being well. And so when we're called to bring that shalom, to bring that peace, to be that, that's what God is calling us to, to do for the city, to be in the places where God has called us to bring that wholeness and that healing. And so how can you see your purpose at work to bring shalom? Right, I mean, your, your job description won't include this. <laughs> right, when you were hired, this was not something you were hired to do, is to bring shalom, but to bring wholeness, to bring restoration, to bring goodness, to bring together. And even to be that shalom, to be that presence in that place. And so I want to talk about how you can see your purpose at work to bring shalom and how that begins to transform people. There's three things that I want to look at today. And the first challenge that I want to give you when you think about your work is this, be excellent. The first thing is be excellent. Now, you might go, what does that have to do with shalom? Well, if you want to make an impact, if you want to have a difference for Christ, the first thing you need, you need to be excellent at work. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine says this, do you see any truly competent workers? They will serve kings rather than work for ordinary people. What Proverbs is saying is if you're good and you work hard at what you do, you're, people are going to take notice. And all of a sudden, in other script verses, uh, versions of it, it says you will have an audience before king. 
How good are you at what you do? How much do you add value? Or do you have a mindset of, I'm going to do the minimum that I can. I just got to get through this. I hate work. I don't want to have anything to do with it. I just want to get my paycheck and get out of there. Don't be Dilbert. Here's a comic from Dilbert. Maybe you've, maybe you've seen, seen this one. The boss asks uh, Dilbert, he says, or he says to Dilbert, the best I can give you is a 2% raise. Dilbert, no problem. I'll just lower the quality of my work until my pay feels fair. <laughs> just want to do the minimum. I just want to get by. We need to be excellent at what we do to, take, to, to, to earn credibility, to have the right to be heard and to, to show the work ethic that we as followers of Christ should have. Colossians 3.23 says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for, for people. No matter how bad the boss is that you have, no matter how much you don't enjoy some of these things, you are working for Christ. You have a different mindset. God, I am doing this for you. So if you make widgets, you better produce the best widgets possible, right? If you're teaching, if you're educating, you better prepare the best lesson plans. Show how much it means to you, how much it matters. Do your work well. Create well. Build well. Treat your customers well. Do the best report you can. Have the most accurate numbers. Excellence at what you do should be the hallmark of believers. Because if you have a lousy work ethic... And if what you do is produce uh, just poor quality work, and you are the kind of person at work that just others kind of go, oh no, we gave the project to so-and-so, what kind of influence do you have when you work in that way? This holds true not just in faith, in anything about you. The quality of your work will lay the foundation, and as followers of Christ, excellence is something we are called to. It's to give our best, to work our hardest, because partly, we're, for one, we're working for the Lord, and so that ought to be a great motivator. And two, he's called us to cultivate in this culture, to bring that goodness, to be the best, to do it and make our world a better place through what you do each and every day. It's so important. Be excellent. The second is this. Be winsome. Be winsome. Here's where we talk about walking the talk. Right? Well, the things we learn the things we learn about Scripture, the things that God is teaching us, the things that, that, that it's not just about some theology or some belief that we have. We hold as a body of believers that, that what we learn and know about God impacts the way we live each and every day. And one of the first places that you live out what we teach and what we learn through God's Word is what we do in our workplaces. And so we ought to be people who, who express that in the way that we live. The Bible talks about being ambassadors for Christ. What is that, a representative of Christ? So how do you live that out? 2 Corinthians 2.13, I love what this says. For we are, to be, we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. How do you smell at work? You know, if you're, you know, if you're trying to sell your house, you know, they, sometimes they say, like, when, when you've got an open house, what do they say? Bake what in the kitchen? And we've all heard that. I don't know if that's true or not, but you bake cookies. Why? Because it smells good. Because it draws you in. What about, like, a, you know, a nasty trash can with salmon that you had a few days ago, right, in the house, right? What, what happens to us? A pleasing aroma does what? It makes us lean in, right? Mmm. A stench makes us back off. And Scripture is telling us to be winsome, is to have a pleasing aroma about you. 
What is it in your personality and who you are in your spirit that is a pleasing aroma to your coworkers? Do they long to be with you? Do they long to see that you're a person who's a part of, of making the office or making the job site or, or making the, 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 you know, the work trip that you're on a, a, a more pleasant experience? When we live out the fruit of the Spirit, don't you want to be around people who embody love, joy? Are you grumpy at work? You're missing the fruit of the Spirit, joy. If you come in every day like Eeyore, go home. Meadow Park, if you're on our staff, do not come in as Eeyore, man. We come in on Tuesdays. It's Team Tuesday, and we shout out, Team Tuesday, and we get happy, and we, even if we don't feel like it, sometimes we do. Oh, is that Kyle? Give us a Team Tuesday, Kyle. There we go, right? And even if you came in that morning, you didn't quite feel it. You started feeling it. Love, joy. Are you a person of peace? That's that shalom, right? Love, joy, peace, patience at work. I thought this was only when we're around like other people and before the Lord in our quiet time. No, this literally like is at work. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. This plays itself out at work. And if we are those kind of people that embody the fruit of the Spirit, live that, that, that becomes very winsome to those around us. That is a sweet-smelling aroma that we are excellent at what we do and we're winsome. And another way that we're winsome is not to act like we have it all together as followers of Christ. Like we never have problems and it's always just a blissful day. I mean, don't fake the joy to the point where people are going, do you ever have issues? Is there ever a challenge? Can you ever be real? Do you ever doubt something? Have you ever struggled with anything? Being real earns us that right to, 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 for, others to be, for us to be heard, to be winsome. To be winsome is to care for other people, to, to, to notice your co-work and say, what's going on? Tell me about your day. How are your kids doing? Right? To, to be in community with people that you spend so much time with. Some of you know your clients very well. You know customers very well. You get into their lives. And that's a part of being winsome. So we're excellent. Be excellent and be winsome. The third is this. Be ready. Be ready. So if you're excellent and you're winsome, now you're somebody of note in your workplace, somebody who does their work well, somebody who's the kind of co-worker that others admire and respect, and now you need to be ready. What do I mean by be ready? 1 Peter 3.15 says this, if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. If someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Do others see your hope? When was the last time someone asked you about your hope? It all comes down to how we engage others, how we live, how we live that out in such a way that it begins to raise the question in others. Tell me about this hope. Tell me about this joy that you have. How you live and work gives credibility to what you believe and say. How you live and work gives credibility to what you believe and say. And that's why we have to be ready, because at that moment when people start noticing, when people start seeing something, you know, they may not be flocking to you, but as you've built the relationship, those questions come up. What's different? Why are you not freaking out about this, uh, this news that came from corporate? How are you handling the situation in your life that, that you seem to have peace when everyone else is, would, would be distraught to no end? Why do you stand up for something that's right when everyone else just kind of gives in? Why are you willing to take responsibility when everyone else is always trying to throw somebody else under the bus? Those kinds of things get noticed at work. 
And when they are noticed, then people begin to ask you questions, and maybe you have the opportunity to share. And you don't have to have a theology degree. You don't have to have tons of scripture memorized. You just have to know who you are and what God has done in your life if you're a follower of Christ. This is the difference. I know, I know Jesus. He's changed my life. I, I, I follow God's word. I'm encouraged by what happens in the church and the people that I believe with, you know, that we believe together and what God has done for us. We're trying to make the world a better place. We're trying to put a smile on people's faces. I'm trying to, to, to be the best in my channel of culture to make a difference in this world. I mean, what is it that motivates you? And how do you handle these situations? Be ready to explain it. If you're excellent, if you're winsome, and you're ready, God can use you in a real powerful way. Now, I don't want to paint this in a way that's just like, just do these things, and all of a sudden, everybody's just going to, you know, flock to you, and, and people are going to be, you know, get saved in droves. They might. Who knows? But you know what else I know is it can be really hard to be a believer in the public sector and, and work and at school. And what do you do when your work and faith collide? What do you do when those two things come together and your faith is there and you're either being asked to, to compromise morals or something unethical or you're being asked to participate in something that, you're not, that you don't want to endorse or maybe there's conversations about points in, in public that, that you don't agree with? How do you handle that or how do you handle it when, when, when the challenges come? And you're, you know, you're not being that obnoxious uh, you know, Christian that, that you know, other people are writing to their lawyers about trying to figure out, right? You're not, you're not to that extreme. But, but, but people are starting to to just create tension. How do you handle that? Well, I just want to give you three quick things on this as well, because I think this is where a lot of us deal with it too. And the first is this, stand on God's word. Stand on God's word. When, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, he kept coming back to the phrase, it is written. It is written truth. You need to know when, when a situation comes that you are standing on truth, not what somebody else thinks, not on someone else's opinion, not on what else will come. You know God's truth, and for, for you, you say, I know what God's word says. This is where I stand. And that gives you the, the foundation to, to, to meet any challenge that comes. It is written. The second is this, rely on the Holy Spirit. I know this is basic, but it's true. You know the truth of God's word, and then you have the spirit of God living in you. And, and the Bible tells us that, that when you're brought before rulers or you're brought before people that, that question you, trust the Holy Spirit. He will give you the right words to say at the right time. And so you may think about everything you need to know and what you need to say. Trust God. You're standing on his word, and you trust God, and he's going to guide you in what you're going to say. And his third point, though, I need to share because it's important. Prepare for the consequences. Prepare for the consequences. Jesus actually said himself, the world will hate you because of me, because of your love for me. You are not of this world, and because you are not part of the world, they're going to misunderstand you. And that's a part of it. That's what's going to happen. There may be consequences. You may lose your job. You may lose a friendship. You may lose a customer or a client. You may lose out. I think about Joseph in the Old Testament who was working for one of the highest officials, and he did not compromise his integrity or his morality, and he ran from a temptation situation. He was appointed by God. He had the Holy Spirit of God, and he was, he was faithful. You know where he ended up? In jail. He ended up in prison. He ended up being, being discarded. Now, in God's beautiful narrative of redemption and restoration and time, God restored him because of that moment of integrity and standing up and being faithful. And it doesn't always work out perfect. But I do believe that, that, that when we are excellent at what we do, when we are winsome in the way we live that out, 
And when we're ready just to share the hope that we have, the joy, the transformation in us, that God uses that to plant seeds, to change lives, to impact people. I'd like for you to watch this video um, of a person who, through their job, has made a significant impact in someone's life. Take a, take a listen. I have worked as an air traffic controller at one of the world's busiest airports. And in the lunchroom one day, uh, there was a group of veteran controllers sitting at another table who were pretty crude. And then one of them said he grew up in a Christian home where his parents forced him to go to church and he hated it and never wanted to go back. And he mentioned the name of the church. And when he did, it was like a dagger in my heart to think, that's the kind of church I go to. Because of that name being there, it caused me to really uh, feel a lot of pain. But I didn't say anything. I waited until everybody left the room except he and I. And as we were washing our dishes at the sink, I said, Dennis, I didn't know that you went to church. And he turned to me and shook his fist in my face and said, don't you ever talk to me about God, religion, or anything like that. I have to work with you. So I didn't but I tried to offer him the same dignity and respect that I would offer anybody. I really did a lot of self-questioning, I guess. You know, am I going about this wrong? For what reason would someone respond that way when it was a rather innocent question? As I thought through the process, I went everything from I'm discouraged and, and don't want to offer up those kind of questions, but it also caused me to go back and take a look at you know, why would he respond that way? I did ask some of my brothers to help me pray for this guy. I'm kind of out of options. I don't know what it's going to take. About eight years later, I was working at a radar scope one day, and he walked up and then asked me, what time does church start on Sunday? And I told him, and Dennis showed up. He brought his wife. After a few times of attending and going to lunch with my wife and I, he came to me and he said, Sandy, I know the way that I've been living has been wrong, and I need to correct that. But my wife has never heard about Jesus Christ or any story from the Bible, would you study with her? And my wife, Cindy, and I sat down and we studied with, with Dennis and Sharon, and she became a Christian after that study, and I was so happy. And a few years later, I was working in Seattle, Washington, and he called me and he said, Sandy, I'm selling everything that I have, and Sharon and I are gonna go off to a Bible training school, and then we're going to Cambodia to be missionaries. And I was just shocked at that transformation. I said, Dennis, You've come a long way from shaking your fist in my face. And that transformation has been priceless to watch the change in that individual. I know Dennis had to hear me telling stories about mission trips. I use those as talking points to get conversations started with people. And then you end up with the follow-up questions where people will say, why did you take your vacation time and go do that? And it gives you an opportunity to talk about what Christ means to you. I've, I've often thought of myself as being a missionary, but a vocational missionary, kind of like Paul made tents. And so I think about myself at, at the workplace as being God's representative there. When I get discouraged at work and I think that maybe nobody's watching, nobody's paying attention, maybe my witness is not effective, um, rather than thinking about moving on, I just need to think about living a Christ-like life because somebody's watching me all the time. Isn't that a neat story? I mean, I know it's one of those where you go, oh, okay, the example of, yeah, the guy that hated God, and then you put him off, and then he became a missionary, right? Like, how often do we see that happen? But it happened. 
And that missionary story, Dennis' story, is I remember a guy one day at work who just opened the door, who just put, opened the crack to talk about this. I blew him off and I put it away. But he was faithful in the way he lived with integrity, the way he continued to open the, that door. And when the opportunity came, he didn't miss out. He didn't miss out on saying, absolutely, come. Let me show you. Let me introduce you. Let me help lead you. He was willing to take those steps. We never know what God will do through your witness. When we live beyond these walls as the church, so much life change can happen. And it's exciting for me to think about when you are the people that, that bring peace, when we bring that shalom to the world around us, when we cultivate the goodness and, and you're great at what you do and you, you live out this transformed life before others and you're ready to share the hope that's in you, God can build his church in one of the most amazing ways possible. If I ask you this question, live, or just the statement, live, work, and speak in such a winsome way as to make people ask why. Live, work, and speak in such a winsome way as to make people ask why. And when we do that, we have great opportunities. I mean, imagine what stories could be told. Who might you be working with right now that is that dentist that you go, that could be the last person I could ever see anything changing spiritually. And yet, God could can work that path. God can work that plan. God wants to use you in a powerful way. This morning, I want to pray for all of us. When we go beyond these walls, as you head into the workplace, as you go into the schools and different places, I know we're talking about this on Fourth of July weekend, so you're going to have to remember this at least until Tuesday if you're off, if you're off tomorrow, okay? Um, but God wants to use you to make a difference in those places. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We love hearing a story of Dennis's changed life and the way that you use Sandy in that way. God, uh, you can use all of us in a way like you used Sandy in that video. God, you can use us in the places that you have placed us in. Nobody else can be with those coworkers, be with those clients and customers, to be with those classmates. And Father, I just pray that you would maybe help us see our work in a different way as we approach it next time we go back. To see us as being one, God, that you've called us to, to bring that shalom, to bring that wholeness, not just to the job that we do in our description, but to the people around us, to those that we serve. And God, to, to work in that channel of culture with excellence. God, to use the skills and the gifts and the training that you've given us to keep doing better, to be, to be excellent in that way and to earn the respect of our peers, God, because of the way we work and work for you. Father, may we live out the fruits of the Spirit. Help us if we lack joy or gentleness or patience. God, give us that reminder that your Spirit will guide us and help us in those moments. And Father, I pray for opportunities. Maybe a small conversation in a, in a break room or at dinner after work or maybe in the hallway or a random text that comes. God, help us to be ready to not only just walk the talk, but God, to actually talk it too when there's opportunity to share the hope that's in us. Father, I pray that our influence could be great, and God, that we could see your kingdom expand through each and every person here today. In Jesus' name, amen.